<laughs> this is Mama's High on Chai. Hey Mamas, this is your host Simi with Mama's High on Chai, a podcast all about being a South Asian and being a mama. Hey guys, today I'm joined by Navi Gill, who is also known as Navdeep Gill. She is an Ayurvedic practitioner, a yoga teacher, and a wellness educator. I first discovered Navi when one of my friends recommended that I follow her on Instagram. And at the time, I was having some issues with hormonal imbalances after childbirth. And I was telling my friend how it was impacting my life. What I really liked about Navi is the way she sees everything from an Ayurvedic, a more holistic perspective. I could really relate to her because she is also a South Asian woman and she understands the complexities of our culture. And so as I was researching more about her and her practice in Surrey, BC, I came to know that she also specializes in uh, treatments that were at the time foreign to me. Uh, that is Marma Chikitsa Therapy and Foundational Panchakarma Bodywork. So I'm really excited to find out more about these treatments and what their benefits are. What I also really like about Navi is that she works specifically for women and people of color to create a community and to create more accessibility of Ayurvedic wisdom. And so in conversation with her prior to this interview, she also mentioned that her main focus is to decolonize wellness. Now, this is a term that I hadn't heard before, and I'm so excited to find out more about what decolonizing wellness, decolonizing Ayurveda means to her. Hi, Navi. Hi, Sumi. Welcome to our show. Thank you so much for taking the time out to speak with us today. I'm so excited to have you on our show. Thank you so much for having me. If you can tell me a little bit about your story and your background, you know, I want to know about more about your journey in Ayurveda and how, what attracted you to Ayurveda and how it, it all started. Mm. Uh, I love this question <laughs> every time <laughs> I get a chance to answer it. So um, I am an Ayurveda practitioner, an educator, um, an entrepreneur. I'm also a trained yoga teacher and coach as well. Um, right. So all of those things together make up my um, practice, which I primarily do a lot of education and consulting work um, and right. workshops, which I um, do in Vancouver and Surrey as well, but I also tend to travel a lot um, with my work um, right. and with my body work and therapy. I have a home practice um, in Surrey, BC that I do. Um, right. And my journey with Ayurveda actually started, um, it was 2010. Um, right. I had just, I was in this last year of my uh, program I was doing marketing communications at the time in school right. um, and I was in my last semester and I had suddenly lost my nanaji and it okay. was a really tragic time for my family and in my life it was the first time I had ever experienced a loss of someone so close right. to me so sudden um, right. and Similar to probably how a lot of us are feeling in the world right now, everything mm -hmm. came to a standstill for me. And right. suddenly everything that I was doing didn't matter. I had already been feeling that for quite some time that right. I'm trying to find, you know, the emphasis on going to post-secondary, then having a career, but the things that I was right. interested in at the time, which were, um, you know, um, my lineage, where I come from, healing, um, it just wasn't a viable career at that time. There was really right. not a big boom in wellness like there is right, right now that we're experiencing. Right. 
Yeah. So I just thought that it was going to be a hobby and there was no place for it as a right. as a career path. And right. I thought, well, I I do enjoy communication and you know, I I I like to write, so maybe that's going to be something that's going to sustain me for some time. Um and then after I lost my grandfather, um like I said everything came to a standstill for me and I literally barely finished my last uh, semester. I barely scraped through. And at the end of that year, I was going to be going to India. You know, it's our tradition. Um, right. In, in the Sikh tradition, you take the person and their, um, you know, ashes back home and right. do the last rites. So right. I, I was going with my family. I um, had no expectations for that trip. It was obviously a right. very painful time. But mm-hmm. somehow during that trip, um, my family had planned a uh, a side trip within that trip. And that was mm-hmm. to do a little tour to go to South India. Mm-hmm. So we have no idea even to this day why we decided to do that. Um, right. Who picked the tour? And it was mm-hmm. going to be like a journey through all... Um, the little small places all the way down to the very end to Trivandrum. And okay. Um, that's, that's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so I say this because I truly believe that my um, rediscovery of Ayurveda was a very spiritual thing. And it was a gift yeah. from my Nanaji because it came Aww, through that's... losing him and then going to a place um, when I was in Kerala I was immersed and I found myself, even through my grief, um, being very, very connected. It was almost like an electric feeling when I was around um, all the Ayurvedic herbs, the spices. I was doing a tour in a spice farm. And I'll never forget that moment of just like reconnecting and immersing in what I then understood as Ayurveda because I didn't grow up with anyone in my family that practiced it. I'm from Punjabi right. Sikh family. So, you right. know, people like most people traditionally grow up with some aspect of Ayurveda around them. Right. I, I really right, didn't. Right. And yeah. this was my remembrance because suddenly all the things that I was looking for, I realized the word for it was Ayurveda. So that's <laughs> kind of my um, uh, long story long of yeah. <laughs> how I... It's so interesting. Yeah. It's, it's very touching, actually. How I started. And when I came back to Canada after that, I, I really actually struggled for a long time to find a place where I could get the proper education, um, right. where I could still be close to home because at that time, I was still very much grieving and I wasn't prepared to pick up and move to India or, um, you right. know, right. anywhere else where I found any, like, sort of education close to me. Right. So um, I studied with Dr. Jayashri Lambert, who was an apprentice for a long time for Dr. Vasant Lad. And that was my first sort of journey into it. And then over the years... I did more trainings. I did my right. training on uh, panchakarma therapies, um, right. my yoga training. So there's still much more. My journey is still ongoing, um, but that's how it's been going for the last uh, 10 years. Well, that's awesome. I, you know, I, I find that so touching that, you know, it's something that, you know, the, the loss of your nanaji sort of brought this into your life, you mm-hmm. know, Ayurveda and and kind of, you know, reconnected you with your own self, right? Like what you actually want to do, what feeds your soul. And I think for you to be able to, you know, go ahead and pursue it in the times where wellness and holistic wellness was not even, you know, big at that time. I, it was like nothing else made sense. Once. Right. It right. was like for the first time in my life, it was a language that I understood perfectly and nothing was a struggle to understand. And obviously there's like deeper um, things behind that, even though holistic wellness was around, there wasn't uh, South Asians or Punjabi Sikh women taking up space in these communities. Even now, I'm one of the very few where people always tell me like, oh my gosh, you're doing all these things and you've been doing it for this amount of time. But it was such a struggle to even take up this much space um, in this wellness world because it's very much a white dominated or 
right. um, dominant Location. culture um, right, right. that holds, holds all the spaces in these when we're talking about it as a career or something that we're going right. to make a living from. So when right. we, even if we were exposed to it as children, it was like, oh, these are, they see a lodge or like, it's like, right. you know, what do they call it? Right. I think right, that's the word. Right. Like it's not necessarily <laughs> something that you home remedies, yeah. yeah. That you would just be like, well, I'm gonna do this as as my life's work now. But um right. yeah, I would say I was sure that I couldn't do anything else after that. Right. And my my life's work would have to revolve around healing and wellness. Right. And you know, it's interesting you bring that up because now, I was reading this article, and now modern science and studies are, are sort of backing up what was practiced in Ayurveda thousands of years ago, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and these practices were so profoundly understood by our ancestors. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, you know, it's coming into light nowadays. You know, back then it was, it was you know, as you mentioned, it's, they used to call it like, oh, these are just like they see, mm-hmm. you know, home remedies, right? Mm-hmm. And um, now more, more and more, even modern science is recognizing Ayurveda and the ancestral wisdom. Mm-hmm. And there's many reasons for that. One is that, you know, I always say when people are sick and tired of being sick and tired and they've done everything else, you always right. end up coming back to... Um, holistic health and and what nature has always provided for us. And the other part right. is that um, the commodification of Ayurvedic and, and all sorts of ancestral wisdom, um, unfortunately, plays a big part in why it's so much more accessible. Um, right. You know, we talk about like the Western wellness movement, when they realize that, hey, we could make money off of turmeric, and start making turmeric lattes and turmeric mm. face masks and turmeric everything under the sun, then it's right. like these herbs and this indigenous wisdom starts to become more prevalent in, in modern society because um, right. now, you know, that dominant culture is is commodifying it. So right. Right. It's, it's very interesting time for this and a very interesting movement in wellness. Um, basically, right. it's, you know, we saw what happened with yoga. Yoga is, right. is all over the entire world. There's not a single right. person who doesn't know or hasn't heard of yoga. But yeah, what yeah. it was authentically and what it was created for and how it was taught is very different right. from what we know now. What? True. So true. Ayurveda yeah. is now just it's... emerging and you know, one of the bigger goals of my practice, I always say it's, it's to decolonize wellness and to take up space in Ayurveda, which means to preserve those ancient ways and be, right. uh, be a holder of that knowledge in the way that it was meant to be uh, meant learned. To be. Decolonizing wellness that you, that you speak about and, you know, it's also mentioned in your, in, on your website. Can you rephrase that again? Yes. So colonization um, is, as Indians, we know that we were colonized many, many times, meaning there was a dominant culture that came in and took over right. um, and took away the culture that was in that specific part right. of India. So it happened to India many, right. many times. Um, the most devastating, right. obviously, was um, when we had the British Raj. So at that time, right. what happened was that the European um, doctors were coming over. And at that time, there was only um, Ayurveda and Unani medicine that was practiced. And then there was obviously right. folk medicine as well. So when the European right. doctors were coming over, at that time, early mm-hmm. on, they were actually bridging between European medicine and um, right. ancient Ayurveda and Unani. But when they right. kept traveling all around India, and there was also the folk healers in the villages, they started to just right. think of all of that medical science, because Ayurveda is a medical science, as, right. as folk remedies. So right. as any dominant culture does, and the process of colonization, is you start to... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, break down the value of that, uh, whether it's Ayurveda or any cultural tradition, and you start right. to erase it. 
So many, many ancient Ayurvedic texts were uh, burnt, obviously, during the Mughal Raj as well. Um, There were things that were lost, but the British had really made it a point to try to erase Ayurveda and our ancestral medicine, um, closing down almost all of the Ayurveda colleges, um, taking away the texts, and then almost Mm -hmm. making it like a... um, that it wasn't a valid science and it was just something right, that you do right. for home remedies. So that process lasted uh, like a few hundred years and like colonization of us as a people, those things have a very right. long standing effect on how we view ourselves, how we view um, the value of these traditions and the value of this medicine is that even right. still many people think, Oh, that's just, um, you know, basically crap or it's it's not real medicine or it's not real science because the mind has become so colonized to believe that what is western um is what's right and is the best is what's better yeah Mm -hmm. yeah so my practice or what I like to do with my work um the the decolonization comes in many ways one is to really um advocate for holistic medicine and for Ayurveda right and as a young person who was born and raised in Canada people are always surprised Mm -hmm. that I feel so strongly about this because they expect Mm -hmm, every mm -hmm. person that's you know born in the west to believe that being you know Canadian is my best identity but to me I'm like no for me it's being a Punjabi Sikh woman that carries this ancestral knowledge is my purpose and that is that's amazing I love that yeah and and that's (laughs) that's the biggest part of decolonizing and like taking up space in these places so instead of looking to someone who's from the dominant culture or someone who's white to teach me yoga to teach me Ayurveda I'm like no I want to go to where the knowledge comes from and then I want to be that representative where other people can come to me and learn um right and and preserve this knowledge so that right right the future generations have access to it and we don't they don't have to go through like the struggle and the challenges that myself and my peers have gone through just to get even little bits and pieces of this knowledge true very true and you also hosted an event in Los, Los Angeles mm-hmm. recently, uh, which was about decolonizing wellness. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me a little bit more about this event? Yeah, so this is a series. Um, it's become a series that I had um, mm-hmm. put out last year. So it was February of last year where I did my first one here in Vancouver. And it was sort of a mm-hmm. um, healing retreat you could say for the day for South Asian women and women who identify as women of color and then I expanded Mm -hmm. it there to people who identify as black indigenous people of color Um, and the first one was my way because I realized that so many people that were my peers that identify and come from the South Asian diaspora really didn't know at all what Ayurveda was and had no form of self-care rituals had no form of um you know, uh, this, this form of healing in their life or understanding of it. Right. So to me, I was like, right. I can go out there and teach until I, you know, uh, am blue in the face. But if my own people right. don't have a value right. and don't implement these things in their life, um, what's the purpose yeah. of my work? And I wanted it to specifically, right. like I started gearing it towards um, South Asian women because I right. realized that self-care is something in our culture that um as black indigenous women of color all over the world go through is not accessible to us and it hasn't been accessible to us it's almost it's known as a luxury so that although we totally yeah that is so true and although we say that oh it was our mothers and our grandmothers that had that belief system I see it very much carrying on to our generation and if we don't um tap into these these things that are available for us we're going to be repeating the same cycles of living with stress anxiety depression and um it's starting very young for people Uh, you know you see little kids who know what the word stress is but they don't know words yeah. about healing yeah. and nourishment and fulfillment, but they know what stress is. So that's coming from yeah. the root somewhere. Yeah. 
And basically, that's how it started. I did my first one here. And then I did another one um, in Birmingham in England when I went um, this summer. And then this last one in LA, which was a beautiful group of people. It was um, people who uh, were practitioners, um, mostly yoga teachers or other wellness practitioners. And I wanted to create, again, a day retreat for them to come and find rest. Because in this day and age, as practitioners, we're also having to really, um, when it turns into something that's your profession, self-care also gets yep. pushed to the back burner. And especially living in a city yep. like yep. LA, where there's a million things yep. happening, there's a million people that are doing the same thing as you. So you really have to push yourself extra hard. And unfortunately, when yep. it is yoga and wellness, um, it it ends up having a detrimental effect on a lot of practitioners because they aren't able to take care of themselves at the same time. So that was True. my purpose is yeah. I really wanted to offer a way for them to come and rest. And that's mm-hmm. it. Just like find nourishment, find rest, be fed Ayurvedic food and do breathing exercises, learn how to do abhyanga, all these things. Um, mm-hmm. Cause I know how important that is for me as a practitioner to have a place where I can go right. and rejuvenate. Sounds so interesting and, and very relaxing and informative. And Yes. We have a lot everything. of things that happen, but people um, as a society, especially through social media and technology, we're really used to and have a, become accustomed to just wanting an instant gratification. And like people will take right. all these workshops and do all these things and accumulate knowledge, but they don't have the experiential right. part. So my goal is that I can give you all the knowledge, but if you don't experience what Abhyanga feels like, you don't experience what Nadi Shodhana feels like, you're not going to use it. Right. So I really want people to like have the full sensory experience. So what is Abhyanga? Abhyanga, it is one of our core self-care practices in Ayurveda. It's a detoxifying warm Mm -hmm. oil body massage and it's uh, Mm -hmm. one of the foundational therapies in panchakarma which is um, a cleansing process that we do in ayurveda right Um, and abhyanga is something that you can either have uh, administered to you from a therapist or um, right it's something that we do daily for ourselves as a way to maintain um, you know detoxifying the body, maintaining good skin health. Right. Um, it's very, very nourishing for the nervous system. So it helps with anxiety and depression and stress. Um, and it's just, it's a beautiful practice, especially for women. Um, and again, I, right. I refer back to um, those who identify as South Asian women, because I know predominantly that's who will be listening, is that we're never really yeah. taught um, to have a connection to our bodies and we never really are taught right. how to touch your body and love your body and abhyanga right in in ayurveda uh the word for oil is called sneha which is um also the word for love so this is like an act of love right. when you're massaging your body with warm oil and i think that's a component yeah. that's missing for a lot of women that is so so awesome I love the word sneha. It's so mm-hmm. beautiful. Um, and I love the connection uh, that you made between Abhyanga and how, you know, well, how it relates to South Asian women. And what kind of oil can we use if, if we were to? And where could we get, you know, this information? If we, you said we could, we could do it ourselves mm-hmm. at home as well. So everything in Ayurveda is, um, because it's a medical science, it's, it's a prescription. Right. So it depends on right. your individual constitution. But for general right. purposes, I won't go too deep. Um, but yeah, sunflower is a good option for most people because it's a very neutral oil. Someone who has a lot of heat yep. in their body or is a pitta dominant person, they could use coconut oil. Right. Someone who um, mm-hmm. is has a very... Uh, they have a lot of aches and pains in the body. Um, They have like dry skin. They might have a smaller frame. Um, They might be more Vata dominant person, which is air and space element. So sesame oil is very good. Someone who has a 
a bigger frame, oilier skin, um, tends to get really uncomfortable in the heat. They might be a kapha body uh, type. So that's a uh, earth and water. And because they already have a lot of oiliness to their skin, they need very little oil Mm -hmm. and they need something that's invigorating and heating like mustard oil. So it depends on your constitution. But generally right. speaking, you know, we use traditionally in Ayurveda, we use sesame, but that can be too heating for some people. Yeah, I, I've heard a lot about sesame seed oil and the benefits mm-hmm. of it in Ayurveda. Um, it brings me to, you know, the, the my biggest question to you, and I know it might be difficult to answer as Ayurveda is so complex and has so many mm-hmm. layers to it. Um, and I feel like there's a lot of misconceptions about mm-hmm. Ayurveda. Some believe it, it's just, you know, another type of a diet. Some believe it's only for med- medicinal mm-hmm. purposes. And, you know, to you, what, is, what does Ayurveda mean to you? And how can you explain that to someone who might not know much about it? Well, for me, it means everything. Um, it's how I <laughs> exist in the world. It's how I see the world. Um, and if we want to define it, so Ayurveda translates to the science of life. And um, mm-hmm. it's a holistic medical science, which means that it encompasses um, all the parts of who we are. So mind, body, spirit. Right. Um, it includes science and philosophy and also spirituality. So it's a spiritual science. Um, we use, um, you know, herbs, different, um, uh, different spices. Yes. Spices as well. But I was looking for the word for different body work therapies, uh, different cleansing techniques, uh, food, breath, yoga, asana, um, mantra, all right. different types of things to bring you into your most balanced state of your constitution. So Ayurveda right. is based on something called the Samkhya philosophy. Um, and that means mm-hmm. uh, it's like Sat is truth and Kya is to know. So it's to know the truth. And Ayurveda was um, essentially, they say, like downloaded by like rishis um, in ancient times. And then it was passed down mm-hmm. um, from lineage to lineage, teacher to student um, verbally. And it was only until about 5,000 right. years ago where it was then documented um, in written form, which a lot of was destroyed right. also. So basically, right, right. It, like there, it's, it's complex, but I'm trying to just give you the overview Mm-hmm. The gist of it. So right. there's something that we are born as, which is our natural state that never changes, which is our prakruti. And then there's something that right. we are right now, which is called our vikruti, which is our current state. And the deviation in between the two things is based on um, our entire lifestyle where we live, what we do for a living, our family life, our diet, um, what we do for right. work. So the deviation is tells us um, uh, what the dosha imbalance is. So our goal always in Ayurveda right. is to go back to be in our most balanced state of our prakruti. Um, right, mm-hmm. our natural state. And, and each... Right. Each um, person, we have all the doshas. So there's three doshas, vata, pitta, and kapha. Right. We need all three to function um, because they govern different parts of our bodies. But we're, we're dominant right. in usually one or two. So it's in different levels in everybody. And those levels determine right. how you do everything, what your body physically looks like, how you are emotionally, how you are spiritually what foods best suit you, right. when you should wake up, when you should go to sleep, when you should go to the bathroom, how your poop should look. Right. It really is a very, right. very intricate and yeah. individualized science. Right, right. And that's what I love about Ayurveda. You know, it's um, so, uh, so often we, when we, when there is something wrong, when something bothers us and we're in pain, we often look for 
the source of the issue and we look at things at a very, from a very narrow lens. And like, for example, if we have a headache or digestion issues, you know, we try to treat it with modern medicine. And in Ayurveda sort of looks at things as a whole, mm-hmm. right? Like it treats the individual rather than treating the, the ailment right. itself. And yeah, it's, it's, and I find that it's, so interesting. Um, in Western medicine, you're treating the symptom where Ayurveda is a preventative medicine. It's not necessarily a cure based medicine. So that means that we're always trying to assess and find the root cause. And from there, the symptoms, once you address the root cause will automatically, or they should at least start alleviating themselves. So the whole purpose of why Ayurveda came to be and why it was practiced and why it's so revered is that its purpose was to give us longevity. And that was because if we can live a long and healthy life, then later in our life, we will have enough years and enough health to have spiritual pursuits. So if you notice, you know, in in our culture, especially a lot of older people, they're very much connected to their form of spirituality or religious practices. And that is, it's, it's like the way that life in our culture um, goes because you've done everything else. You've had your children or you've had your relationships, you've done all the worldly things you've earned, you've worked. So then now your time is left for spiritual pursuits or so you should hope, but that's Ayurveda's um, whole purpose which I thought was so beautiful is to give us longevity so that we could have that connection to the divine right right and it's really more of a lifestyle and it's you know through the process it heals you from the inside so that you don't you know burden the you know modern modern medicine and western medicine is important as well right like I'm not against it or anything but I I feel that there's a balance right like if uh, prevention is everything it's the key and you know, with if we can practice Ayurveda, we can reduce that stress on our on our Western medical system exactly. too. So it's it's really important. Allopathy it kind of goes hand is in hand. Needed. We say in acute emergency, allopathy has its place mm-hmm. and and it's necessary in the world that we live in. But if right. we can ensure that we're doing our best to in- make sure that we're taking care of ourselves and we're doing all the preventative measures, then there's less likelihood of there being an acute emergency. So the three doshas that you mentioned, uh, you mentioned that they're dominant. You you will have one dosha mm-hmm. that's always or dominant. Or it could be two. In your yeah. normal state. And some people, the rare person um, in the world would be tridoshic, which means they have an even amount of all three. I haven't met anyone that's tridoshic right. yet, though. And so there's some online tests that you can do to find out what dosha you are. Are those really accurate? Um, It gives you a good general idea because obviously not everyone has access to a practitioner. And if they do, not all practitioners um, do full assessments um, or are very skilled at pulse reading. Um, So I would say to start, yes, they definitely. And I always recommend anything by Dr. Ladd. So on Ayurveda.com. He has a um, dosha right. assessment there. It gives you a good understanding because when you're reading the questions, you'll definitely know that, hey, I feel this definitely more than this. And you'll start to see the patterns right. between certain things. And that'll give you a good idea to figure right. out, okay, this is my um, dominant state. Right. And... And I I find it interesting that when you mentioned the current state and the natural state that you're born with and how our current state is constantly changing. So with that, you mean our imbalance of our doshas are, are changing depending on our environmental yes. factors? Basically, every day it's changing. Okay. Every, several times a day it changes. And what about like phases in life? Because I feel like I was a, like before I became a mother I was completely I was a completely different person like I was fierce Mm -hmm. and I was more of a pitta you know like pitta dominating and then now I'm more Mm -hmm. like nurturing and and um so I I feel like you know that's changed I I don't know how to say it in you know in the Ayurvedic language but um, phases of life are also very different and then when you um 
you know, giving birth is something that is such a big transformation mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually. So it does definitely change um, certain uh, amounts of the doshas, especially during pregnancy and then post-pregnancy. And then after when you're raising your children as well, um, it really depends again on your lifestyle factors. What is the environment that you are living in um, day to day? What kind of support do you have around you? What kind of partnership are you in? What kind of food are you feeding yourself? Right. Every one of those things um, does matter and matter. play a part in its own way. Right. Right. And so I became really interested in Ayurveda when, when I was going through a really hard time uh, balancing my hormones mm-hmm. after childbirth, especially I was having a, uh, like really severe mm-hmm. PMS symptoms. And it wasn't so much the physical discomfort that bothered me, but it was the mental discomfort, you know? I was always irritated and impatient and sometimes even angry at the things I wouldn't mm-hmm. normally be angry at, you know? And so I, I recognized this these symptoms and I really couldn't find any resources. So I started looking for something alternative. And then I landed into this whole world of Mm -hmm. Ayurveda. (laughs) And so, you know, do you have any suggestions for women that may be going through like some things like, you know, hormone imbalance or severe PMS symptoms, um, how they can sort of heal their bodies with through foods and and -hmm. balance their hormones? Um I'm so glad that you found Ayurveda. Um, Unfortunately, it's always when it's out of necessity, when we're going through um, some serious health issues um, that we stumble upon it. Um, That was also the case for me because, yes, it was something that I was looking for in terms of what I wanted to do with my life purpose. But also I was suffering from migraines from a very young age and I could not find anything to help me. So I had started when I came back attending workshops to be like, okay, let me at least try to help myself first and understand how this works. So it was out of necessity that I also needed to learn these things um, and practice them in my life. And women's health is something that is such a necessity, especially in the West. I get a majority of my clients, um, you know, I, I, I like to say that I people who identify as women, that's my priority to support. Mm-hmm. Um, and everyone is dealing with some sort of issue connected to women's health and reproductive system and hormones. Um, because given the environments right. that we're living in, basically, our food, our work life, um, our stress, our relationships, mm-hmm. all these stress. things just yeah. take us further and further away from, you know, our own spirit and our own well-being. And in the South Asian culture, right. especially if you're a mother, everybody comes before you. So those right. things emotionally yeah, yeah. compound over time and play a big role in these um, hormonal imbalances. And in the Western medicine field, they'll right. either give you hormone replacement therapy. Um, they'll be like, well, you need a hysterectomy. So we're just going to take everything out. And all those things are right. like very, in Ayurveda, um, those last case scenarios that you would need to do. But here it's the right. first sort of line of treatment in many cases. Um, I do believe things are changing now. Naturopathy is something that is more readily available and accessible for people. And and it's more natural, obviously, um, than traditional allopathy. But I would say um, yoga, meditation, pranayam, start implementing those. In our culture, uh, so many people, um, especially women that are older than me or like my mom's age, will be like, yoga is just to lose weight or yoga is a fitness thing or yoga is right. for skinny people or young right. people. And it's it's if you have a mm-hmm. body, it's about being conscious in your body you can, and yeah. moving it with your breath and, and letting go right. of that stress that's compounded. Stress is the biggest factor that's creating these imbalances more so than I would say physical um, elements. Um, Obviously, when things like childbirth and pregnancy come into play, that's a different story. Um, So implementing those things 
daily. Meditation is key. And I know that people feel like, well, I don't know if it's doing anything. Trust me. Yeah. Yeah. That's how I feel. (laughs) The people around you will know the difference, (laughs) even if you don't notice it. And um, I was actually just thinking about this today of like, I would love to offer, you know, some guided meditations in Punjabi that would be helpful because sometimes it's not always easy to connect to the things that are out there for, for, you know, um, people in our, in our community. But I think people underestimate anything that's subtle. And because in the Western medicine, it has to be like, give me a big dose, give me a pill, give me something strong. And it's like these subtle things affect the subtle body. And they're, they're working in their own way if you create the space for them to work. So doing those practices, eating the right food, um, I, I'm someone who is, um, I've been vegetarian for like 12 years now, um, almost vegan, except I have ghee. Um, so, you know, knowing what you're putting in your body and eating the right foods, eating foods according to the season and according to where you live and according to your dosha is a big one. Um, yeah. And then herbs and supplements obviously come into play, but if you just do the first few of like yoga, meditation, pranayam, and eating properly for your dosha, um, they'll have a big effect uh, right. on, on reversing some of those imbalances. So what is pranayama? I've heard this term before, and I would like to hear like what, what's the definition of so prana is our subtle life force and yama is like a technique. So our breathing technique, um, it's used. So yoga right. is the sister science to Ayurveda. Pranayams are used as a part of yoga. Um, and, and there's mm-hmm. different breathing techniques that are done in specific ways that have different effects mm-hmm. on the body. So some are um, calming to the nervous system. Some are um, uplifting and energizing. Mm-hmm. Some help clear the lungs. Some help, um, you know, help you sleep better. Some clear the right and the left brain right. and balance the hormones and the doshas. So they all have a specific purpose. Um, but because prana is right. our life force, it, it's what governs everything um, in our being and when right it's breath, it's more right? subtle than breath a breath is a part of prana if that makes sense prana is contained in there inside the breath when we're breathing so prana is also found in food okay. prana is found in sunlight prana uh we get prana mm-hmm. when we sleep restful sleep we get prana when we meditate so it's like a very subtle it's mm-hmm. even more subtle than than our breath. And what happens is that governs the movement of the energy in our body and everything else that's allowing our body to function. But when we become stressed and we have poor right. lifestyle habits, we start to get blockages in our marma right. points. Marma points are like these junctures in our body. Right. We have 108 or so inside the body, major ones. Um, right. yeah. you could think of yeah. them like chakras, uh, but these are physical right. points where, um, the, when they get congested with toxic waste, um, they create a blockage. Right. And what happens when that blockage happens is the flow of prana is disrupted. So all the systems in your body, the right. communication between them starts to break down. And over time, when those channels are clogged, that's when disease starts to form in Mm -hmm. the physical body. So pranayams help you, um, you know, make sure that the flow of prana is happening properly. You're detoxifying through the breath. And that's the marma chikitsa therapy that you specialize yeah, so in as marma well, right? is a therapy that we do yes that i do it's one of my favorites it's a beautiful beautiful very deep uh practice where we stimulate the marma points right. in specific patterns 
um, to flush out that toxic yep. waste and to bring the body into a really deep meditative state yep. so that the client's own healing system start to come into play. That is very, very interesting. I have to book an appointment mm-hmm. with you for this one. <laughs> it's my favorite therapy. Um, and so, so you mentioned uh, key and that you have been a vegetarian for many years now. And our family is the same. <laughs> We've been a vegetarian for a very long time. And we also prefer mm-hmm. vegan foods. Um, so, and more and more families nowadays are mm-hmm. becoming vegan. So do you have any suggestions for them? Like, can they still follow a, an oh, Ayurvedic lifestyle? Yeah. Because in India, traditionally, because I know he, uh, especially if you come from a Punjabi family like me, like meat wasn't a part of uh, our ancestral eating because we were farmers. We grew our own fruits and vegetables and like that's what we ate. So right. Ayurveda actually isn't, uh, as we say, like a vegetarian or a vegan science. Everything is prescribed. So even mm-hmm. if someone has meat in their diet, um, or any animal products, it's mm-hmm. they're prescribed this, mm-hmm. or it's for a specific dosha or a specific ailment because everything has a different right. um, quality, a different dosha. So all the meats, some are heating, some are cooling, some are right. heavy, some are oily, some are dry. So they play a different effect on each dosha. That being said, because it's a spiritual science, and for me as someone who's a meditator, who considers myself a yogi is that I right. uh, vegetarianism was so like, it was so easy and natural for me, especially growing up, not actually eating a lot of meat growing up until I started to, you know, right. have my own money and go out and eat with my friends. And I went through that phase, like in my teens where it was just normal to eat meat because it was a part of Western culture. But that was actually right. the first thing. Um, True eating meat and drinking that were just so easy to get rid of um, in my lifestyle. And uh, once you become aware and you become uh, just attuned to your body and nature, you start to understand that like what a big effect what you put inside your body has on your quality of life. And if we're bringing harm to another living being in order to feed ourselves and it's not a life or death necessity for us, um, you, you start to feel right. those things and it's very easy. Ayurveda is, right. um, has so many, it's all beautiful food from nature that doesn't, um, cause any harm to another living being. And traditionally because ghee yeah. and yeah. milk, um, are used as carriers of medicine. And at that time when Ayurveda was right. created, um, in India, like everybody raised their own animals so the ghee and the milk came from that cow that was preyed on that was nurtured like um you know a divine being and that's why cows were so holy at that time is because their milk provided um so many different things you get milk you get butter you get ghee you get lussi all these things um right so provided a living for many people as well as um a way to nourish ourselves so um, it's very right. easy, I would say, to have a vegan diet. Like you just substitute. If you don't want to have dairy, you can have all the nut milks. In the last three years, we have an right. explosion of of vegan food products available to us. And we can make, right. yeah, and we and can make our own at home. <laughs> like just soak your nuts and then blend it. Um, and then blend right. it in the blender with water. Add some sea salt, add some maple syrup right. if you want, or a date, and strain it. And there you have your right. almond milk, your cashew milk, your coconut milk, whatever you want. So I would say it's right. very good. Maintain that. Um, everyone has their own reasons for right. being vegan. Um, so I say, you know, in the Western world, like anything, um, a lot of things become very, like, fanatic. Right. And the vegan movement is one of those things for me where it becomes like a very self-righteous thing where it's like, if you're not vegan, you're a piece of shit because you don't care about animals. And I don't, (laughs) I don't believe that. I believe that we do the best we can where we can. And to really honor and respect that like 
traditionally for us, dairy, butter, ghee, those things were a part of our eating and choose whether or not you want to want to have them and then choose the most ethical way of what's accessible to you. A lot of people, you know, say, well, eating vegan is very expensive because in the Western world, everything that's vegan is mostly processed and comes in a package. But if you eat your dals, your rice, your, you know, legumes, veggies, all the abundance of food that we have that traditionally we would eat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. that's where the nourishment yeah. is. And it's very inexpensive to, yeah. to lead that lifestyle, especially if you True. have a big family, um, you know, you, yeah. you can do that. Yeah. That's those, you just named the staples of our family mm-hmm. kitchen. <laughs> and uh, that's what, that's what we do. I mean, we have dal and rice and all the, you know, all the vegan good stuff that is part of our, has been part of our culture. I mean, that's, it was like you said like I did eat meat when I was a teenager but it was really easy for me to revert back to being a vegetarian because I've always Mm -hmm. eaten vegetarian food and I I simply wasn't even a big fan of the the meat texture right So with everything going on with this COVID-19 pandemic, many families are concerned about their health and health of their loved ones. And they're trying to trying their best to keep their family's immunity strong and healthy. Um, what can families do to, to build their immunity from an Ayurvedic perspective? The first thing is reduce your stress and anxiety. Those are the two things that will lower your immunity the quickest, no matter what age you are. So while you're at home with one another, uplift each other. Spend this time to become connected, become closer. You know, a lot of households, there's a lot of conflict happening at this time because everyone is not used to being at home at the same time. And it's like we're banging into each other within these four walls. But taking this opportunity as a way to become Mm -hmm. vulnerable, connect to one another and really um, come together, you know, spend time with each other, communicate or even and, you know, my spiritual teacher says, don't be talking all day long because within talking is also exhausting. Conflicts and blame also come up in talking. So spend some time in silence, you know, listen to some beautiful classical Indian music, um, do some yoga, do some breathing. And, and learn right. a new activity, you know, pick something that someone in the family wants to do and do yeah. that together. Go for walks uh, away from other people, but with your family. Right. And, and food-wise, yeah. <laughs> you know, very simple, basic things that we have in our kitchen, uh, like ginger, having mm-hmm. adrik tea, um, obviously just boiling it. Yeah. Uh, you could put some licorice in there. You can put some cardamom in there. Uh, Dulci, if you have it, is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, turmeric, having turmeric every day in your food. Yep. Uh, if you have a sore throat, doing some gargles with some uh, turmeric, warm water, and pink salt will work. But if you have senda namak, that's very good. It's available like in the Indian grocery store readily, um, usually, and it helps to. Uh, make an alkaline environment in your throat. Um, so it soothes that. Licorice okay. tea, which is, we also call malati, that's very good for sore throats and dry coughs. Yep. If yeah. you have amla powder or fresh amla, it's very high in vitamin C. So having that. And if you don't, still getting your yeah. vitamin C in, like have your oranges and stuff. Just eating fruit separately from other food. Um so yeah, those right. are just in your spice cabinet and readily available. So how can our listeners reach you if they had any questions or are interested in knowing more about Ayurveda? Um, definitely, they can reach me online, especially right now. Uh, my website is navigillwellness.com. My email is navigillwellness at gmail.com and Instagram where I share a lot of information pretty much daily um, and every Wednesday I have my Wellness Wednesday and that's also um, at Navigill Wellness. 
Right. I, I love your Wellness Wednesdays. You're, you're so quick at responding. And, um, you know, I've asked you a few questions and uh, you gave me some really detailed information on, you know, on my questions. So that was great. Yeah, it's, it's good fun for me and also gets me to get back into it once a week, at least of learning and sharing. So it, it's an honor for me to be able to answer people's questions to the best of my capacity and knowledge. Right. Right. Well, thank you so much, Navi, for all this amazing information and the insight that you brought to our show today about Ayurveda. And uh, I, I feel privileged to be able to speak with you today. And, you know, I'd also like to comment that I honestly think you're a trailblazer. You know, it's, um, you know, it's, it wasn't, I'm sure it wasn't easy to take the step and, you know, for you to represent our community and the ancient Ayurvedic practice that belongs to our culture and our ancestors. And thank you. And, and good for you. And it's, it's, it's so amazing. Do you have any, any takeaway message for our mm-hmm. listeners? I definitely do. Um, especially right now, given the uncertain times that we're in, um, everyone has um, an abundance of time. And I would suggest using that time wisely um, and really investing in yourself and your own self-care. We spend a lot of our Mm -hmm. time outward. Our energy is constantly outward. And when we're forced to be together in a home with one another, um, this is a time to get to know the people that you live with, um, honor one another, you know, and also spend time in silence as well. Listening to some classical music, doing yoga, doing meditation, really going inward and understanding what it is that you need to feel well and how you can cultivate that and create that in your life moving forward. Um, During stressful times, a lot of the time people will spend so much time and energy obsessing about the thing that we cannot control but what we can control is how we're showing up in our in just starting with our homes every day how we speak to one another um creating sacred rituals in your home from your morning practices doing your abhyangas do whatever it is that is a a sacred ritual to you that you feel uplifted that you feel joyful doing creating sacred times around meal times is especially healing because food is our medicine um, right. And I would say, especially for the women in the household who are listening to this, um, now is your time. When you serve from a fulfilled place and a full heart, your family is right. automatically going to feel those effects and feel uplifted and feel connected and feel yeah. the love and the joy. So this is your time right. and opportunity. Um, instead of us using this time to be more stressed and more depressed and more anxious is using the gift of time that nature has given us to be with our loved ones and to really think about what's important right now. What is a priority? What is our purpose? And how are we going to live that going forward? Right. That's, that's beautifully said, uh, Navi. I I feel the same way. I feel that self-care is often neglected, especially as mothers and, um, and you said South Asian mothers, right? South Asian women, because we're all, always been taught to take care of others before ourselves mm-hmm. and you know this is the time we, we often you know people complain about not having enough time and energy f- to do the things that we want to do and so now we have that time to to be with ourselves be with our families and especially when there's you know little children around us they they pick up on our energies mm-hmm. right and um, so the less stressed we are and the more care we take for our, for ourselves it reflects on our children as well and and creates a more harmonious environment mm-hmm. in our homes exactly yeah thank you so much navi it was a pleasure to talk with you and i wish you all the best in your practice and your journey in ayurveda and i'm certainly so intrigued and so curious so much more curious now Uh, than I was before. That means that my job was done well if I can bring another person to find curiosity and interest in Ayurveda then I feel really really grateful for that and thank you I wish you so much joy with this journey on your podcast I know it's going to really support a lot of women who need this information so you are also trailblazing. 
Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. That's all for today, mamas. Make sure to follow me on Instagram and Twitter on Mamas High on Chai. I want to hear from all of you, all the mamas that are listening. And please leave me a voice message by clicking on the link at the bottom of the show notes. It'll also be available on my Twitter page. So make sure you go on there and leave me a voice message. I really want to hear from you and send me your questions, comments, suggestions, feedback. I want to hear it all. So tune in every Tuesday for a new episode. Until then, stay high on chai and stay high on life. See ya! This is Mama's Hot Chai.